Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. All right. Good morning, church. Come on now. How are you feeling today? Y'all, you guys are the national champions of football. I know you love that. You have to still be celebrating. Don't lie. Some of y'all, huh? I know you are. We was rooting for you guys. Hey, uh, I, I just want to take a minute and just say how grateful I am for y'all's pastors uh, in my life. And, and I want to tell Pastor Mike, thank you so much for your friendship and, and just for even just hanging out last night was so good. The things you shared, how encouraging you are, how supportive you are. Every time I talk to you, I am a better man. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better husband, a better dad. You make me better, man. And I'm just grateful for you. I really am. And, uh, and I want to say, I, I really believe God has uh, brought your church and your pastor into our life and our church's life. And as we get going, and we're just a little old baby church, but uh, last night we were sharing and he was giving things and inside and you're going to, you know, you, you guys just need to know when you invest into kingdom builders, you invest into this church, you're investing in a church that's doing so much more than just, you know, right here. You're a global church. And you have an impact around the world. Uh, when, when pastors like me come into your church, I start picking off things that I want to take back home to be better at. Um, and so just know that if you're a guest here, you have come to a church worth investing into, worth getting a part of, raising your kids, bringing your grandkids here. This is a great church. It is a worldwide church. It is amazing. And I bless this house today. I am so excited, so excited to preach with you today. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to John chapter 20. We're going to go on a, a little bit of a tour of scripture today to look through some things. Uh, I spent last night with your pastor and um, a couple other pastors and, and, and ministry people here at the church. Um, we watched, uh, there was a fight last night, forgive me for being a little carnal, you know, but I am, you know, I'm a Californian pastor, so pray for us, we're, you know, we're doing our best. But um, we watched a fight last night, and I didn't realize, like, when I, because I'm in the West Coast, usually any national sporting event happens for me around 7 o'clock. So, you know, that's like when it starts for me to watch the grand, the grand, the main event. Only last night I wasn't in, obviously, California. And so, man, I, I was like, man, when does this thing get started? Dude, man, when do you guys start your stuff? The thing didn't start at like 10.30 p.m. It was so late. And, and we were at Buffalo Wild Wings. That place started getting packed. And I want to tell you something right now. Y'all's church has an impact in this region, in this city. There is, I was Instagramming the fight, you know, just so people, you know, just showing people out there like where I was. And there was these two young men uh, and, and they were there. You could tell, you know, they were very excited to root for, um, you know, Deontay Wilder. And I was filming it and I overheard them in the background and they was talking and just being excited, man. And then they, they, they cuss real loud in my Instagram and I, and I posted it. And I was like, you know, I just posted it, you know, and because I want my church to see that their pastor knows how to be salt and light in a world that needs Jesus. Right. So I, you know, I don't I don't want to like tell people to go act like that. But I do want to be a person that somebody can be around me and then feel like, wait, you still would invite me to church. So I had a plan. As soon as I heard them acting crazy and I said, hey, language, language, boys, I'm out here. They're like, oh, sorry. But they didn't know why. I didn't tell them I was a pastor. I didn't tell them anything. And then. 
The fight got over and the guy they were rooting for lost, right? And so they was downtrodden, you guys. I mean, they were, they were, they were sad. And I, so I went up to him and I said, hey, um, I said, uh, I said what, what, hey, what are you guys doing tomorrow, tomorrow morning? And one guy goes, man, I'm probably smoking a joint. And I said, I said, all right, all right, you know. And, and then he goes, that's what I'm going to do, man. I'm going to smoke a joint. I said, okay. And then I went like this. I said, um, uh, I said, uh, y- y'all know, y- you guys know Healing Place Church? And then his friend went like this. Yeah, like that. And I was like, as soon as I saw his face, I said, yeah, your auntie or your grandma's a greeter, ain't she? I can tell, man. You know, you know, you, you, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. But I looked at him and I said, yeah, you know him. And the other one goes, oh, yes, sir. Right, all of a sudden change everything. I said, well, I'm preaching there tomorrow morning. I'd like to personally invite you to come to church and, you know, come before or after you do what you was going to do is fine, you know. And, uh, and uh, I just, we just want you in God's house. And I said, if y'all come, I got something for you. I got a little hallelujah handshake if you'll make it. So um, they're not here at this service, most likely sleeping in. God knows how long they stayed up last night. But I want to let you know your church is making an impact in this community where we can invite people to a church where they'll know they can be loved and cared for and they'll be invited and, and loved no matter what their past is, what's trailing behind them, what stench people bring in that's broken about their lives. Your church has made this community know you will be loved, you will be cared for, you will be able to hear who Jesus is right where you're at. Come on, somebody. That's a great thing to say about a church. God forbid we ever build a church where people who don't know our Jesus feel like this church ain't for them. Man, if a church becomes a church for just church people, of course it should be for church people. It's what a church should be. We should be built here. But the day we get to the place where it's only for us, we've missed the whole point of what God commissioned us to go do. Come on. So I want to talk about something that happens, I think, in my life and in your life that prohibits us from being the type of people that God wants to use, the type of people that will make room for Jesus. And then watch this, help others make room for Jesus. Some people don't know how to make room for Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew God wanted to do something in that moment, but you could tell the environment or the people were there, they didn't understand what was happening. They didn't know how to make room. You're like, look, I've got to figure a way how to introduce this topic, bring up a moment, ask that, hey, before we leave, we need to pray. Or you know what I feel God wants us to do. You know what I'm talking about? Like where you know the people in this moment, God wants to move. And you're like, "Ah, these folks aren't going to take us there because they're either distracted, they don't know how to make room. I want to talk about what happens for us when we get distracted by things that are less important than what God wants us to be working on and how important that is. I remember um, there was a couple things that happened in our church that have been really painful and difficult over the last couple months. And I got a phone call uh, about a month and a half ago and there was these teenagers that were in our community. They were, we do a fellowship of Christian athletes. Our, our, our staff puts it on at the big high school in town. And um, there were six kids in a car that had five seatbelts and they were doing some, you know, normal teenager stuff, ding, ding dong, ditching houses. And um, one of the dads, you know, had some real anger issues and started chasing them down the street. And unfortunately uh, a car accident ensued and, and three of those young men lost their lives. And, and we, we, we instantly saw how painful and difficult being um, in a situation where, you know, instead of, you know, being able to be safe, instead of being able to, you know, you've got all these dynamics taking place. And it was heartbreaking for us. 
And then it was, you know, we just started looking into like other things happening in our community. There was other people getting hurt. And it was easy for us to be so weighted down by everything happening that we were, we were just like struggling to be able to see, God, what, what are you doing? Where are you taking us? Where is this um, church headed? Uh, there was a lot of other painful things that happened. And when we get into the normal stuff of life, Right. This stuff's normal. Sadly, it's it's normal for tragedy to hit. It's normal for pain to happen. It's normal for things to be taking place in your marriage, with your kids, with your businesses, with your jobs, with your finances. It's it's, this is normal. What do we do when just the normal stuff that we have to deal with and sort out and emotionally kind of navigate is really just keeping us from where God wants us to go. I, I want to go on a tour of a, of a person's life in the Bible. Many of you know him by name. Peter is his name. And I want you to see something that happens in his life that I believe God wants to speak into your life and into this church as a whole. Uh, because here's what I realized, even again was reminded last night. And I've realized this. This is, you know, this is something I've seen just in your church. Your, listen, your church is so important to this city, this region, this state, and to our world, okay? Now, some of you have been so faithful, you have worked your job and you've been at the same place for so many years that the idea of what I just said is hard to wrap your mind around. But I wish to challenge your faith, to inspire you to see your position, your place, your involvement here is greater and grander than you could comprehend. But you're not alone if when I say that you go, I don't know, I've got all these other things. What about just this stuff? And I get that. Peter was like that too. And I want to show you some very basic, normal stuff that when I read the Bible, sometimes um, I have to really make sure I'm looking at it for what it is. That it is, it's, it's God's word, it's God's living and active word, but it's a story of some people who were just like me. Jesus had 12 disciples and these 12 disciples were some knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. And I want to show you, Jesus had 12 But of the 12, some of you know this, he had three that were close to him, Peter, James, and John. And we find out from John's writing that John was also even the closest. Now, I don't know how you would feel, but what if you were Peter? And all of a sudden, John starts writing stuff about Jesus loving him so much, right? Wouldn't that feel a little, well, wait a minute, what about me? Now watch this, John chapter 20, verse one. I want you to see a little bit about how this kind of plays out in the normal life. And by the way, what I'm about to read you, if you're new to church or you just came to church today and you're not really a Bible reader, you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian. What I'm gonna read to you is called the resurrection account, okay? This is the story of Jesus rising from the dead. Now this is the critical part of every Christian person's belief system. We could agree and disagree on a lot of stuff in the Bible, but if you are a follower of Jesus, the one thing that we are all certain that we agree on is Jesus rose from the dead. And I want you to know, and I think I said this last time, nobody expected Jesus to rise from the dead. Here's why. Because nobody was at the tomb on the third day. The disciples didn't gather around for a cool little morning, you know, uh, prayer, prayer meeting to be like, okay, let's get together. Ready? It's, it's morning, third day. Okay, ready? Here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, Nobody was counting down the resurrection. So they did not know what was going to happen. And I want to now take you into this story and see what happens. Listen to me. I want you to see what happens when you keep and put your eyes on something that is less important than what God is trying to do in your life and through your life. 
I want to tell some of you this. Some of you are so much more important to something that God is trying to do than you can comprehend. And I wish by the end of my time today to stir your faith, to remind you, to encourage you, to help you see. Wait, 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 wait. Don't get caught up on that small stuff. That stuff is not that important. But you're not alone and you're not the only one to do it. Peter, Jesus' own disciples got caught up on smaller things than the grand story of what God was doing in their lives. Watch this. It says this, chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Let me stop real quick, just right there. This is John writing. Now, back in the day, this is what would take place. When you would write and you would describe yourself, you'd come up with a moniker that would describe who you were. So John is writing about himself when he says, the one that Jesus loved. Okay, but I do think it's kind of funny because if you're Peter and you got to read about this, it's like, man, he loved me too. She's talking about the one that Jesus loved. Why don't you put a plural on that? One of the ones that Jesus loved, like me too. Okay, hey, right? So this is some normal stuff happening. But I want you to see how human and normal and distracted these boys were sometimes by stuff that shouldn't have mattered. Okay, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, you know, the one that Jesus loved, right? And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Did you notice that she didn't say he rose from the dead? Whoa, let's get started. We need a party. We got to get some people together. We got to celebrate. Shoot, we got to tell people Jesus is alive. We got to go, guys. It's the new day, the new movement. It's happening. Nope. All Mary Magdalene said was the stone was gone. Nobody's in that tomb. And they, she don't even know who they is, but some they took Jesus's dead corpse and put it somewhere. Nobody believes that he's alive, that there's power, that there's forgiveness, that death has been conquered. None of that stuff is true. In this moment, it's just a scandal of who stole Jesus's body. Okay, so so she's like, this is too much for me. I got to get some backup. Right. So she so she takes off. It says that she she goes back to Simon Peter and the other disciple Jesus loved. And she says, they took the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Now watch this. Verse three. So Peter and the other disciple You know, the one Jesus loves. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, okay? So just get the picture. Mary Magdalene, Pastor Mike, she comes in. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. The the stones rolled away and and, and Jesus' body not even there. And we don't even know. We don't know where he is. Where is he? And so Peter stands up like, what? What do you mean? This is, this is crazy. They can't do that to his body. We need to respect the dead. He was our savior. I mean, you know, we, we don't, we were a little shocked and everything. And I'm a little embarrassed about some of that stuff that went down over the last couple of hours about, you know, the whole, like, I didn't know you stuff, but Hey, can't be messing around. That's my friend. Okay. That's my guy. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Now, This is the resurrection account. Let's find out what other important details that John needs to include to make sure we all understand what was really going on in the story of Jesus. Ready? Verse four. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Wait, um, John, you do know you're telling the world about the rising of the savior of the world. So not only 
John wants to make sure we know, not only does Jesus love me more, but I run faster than Peter. (laughs) This is so normal. This helps all of us who have ever, ever looked at someone else and just had that little thing go off where you're like, oh man, and there's something about you that you begin to diminish or dismiss or discredit and not like about yourself and almost suppress or push down and you feel small or insecure or incapable and you feel like, I don't know. This stuff is in the human experience. It's part of what Jesus's resurrection wants to conquer, which is why I believe that God wrote it into the resurrection account is because one of the chief things that will break what God wants to do in your life is when you begin to get caught up, not with the resurrection account, not with the empty grave, not with a living savior, but you get caught up with who loves who and who's doing more in whose life and what God is doing and who's got this that you don't got, who's prettier than this, who's got more money, who has this, who has that, and who can run faster. And now all of a sudden, instead of being about Jesus, we about silly stuff that don't matter. It don't change lives. It don't have power to conquer hell and the grave. It don't forget. It doesn't forgive. It's just the silly stuff. And yet, listen, 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 listen. If you find yourself in that place today, I want you to lean in today big time. Because I want you to see even Jesus' disciples <laughs> at the at the beginning of the most important story in the history of the world, I would say, are doing it. (laughs) I mean, it's unbelievable. And then watch this, it keeps going. Um, He bent over uh, and looked in at the strips of linen there, but did not go in. Okay, so John gets there and all of a sudden, he's a man of honor and respect, right? Like he ain't gonna go in. This is holy linen in here, right? So, and then verse six, it says, then Simon Peter, this bumbling idiot who was behind him, by the way, in case you guys forgot, I got there first. He's behind me. Finally, Peter gets here. Okay, now, hey, so, Pi- so Peter came along. He was behind him and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. Verse seven, the cloth was still lying there in its place, separate from the linens. Now watch this. Finally, the other disciple, verse eight, you know, Jesus, one, Jesus who had reached the tomb first. Are y'all seeing this stuff? How many times is John going to reference he runs quicker? This is it. My count, I think we're at three and he moving forward. But he, now he wants to make sure, in case I haven't gotten the point across, you ever, you, you know, you work with people like this, don't you? Right? Don't you see the, hu- the reality of the humanity that God wants to help heal and, 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 and strip down away from our hearts and lives? Can't you see that even, bef- listen, 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 before these boys have even met the resurrected Savior, he is letting us know the stuff he needs to cleanse from their hearts so he could use them to take the movement of Jesus' story of resurrection and redemption around the world. He wants you to know, I got stuff for you. I got things for you to do, but I need to do some stuff in you so I could do some stuff through you to change lives. And so all of a sudden, finally, the other disciple, the, the honorable one who stood outside and wouldn't just bumble around with the linen, who had reached the tomb first because he runs so fast, he also went inside. And you know what he did, right? He saw and believed. Instantly, belief filled John's heart. It's so hysterical to see all this. 
it's so, for me, relieving and embarrassing at the same time. I'm relieved because I'm not alone. I'm embarrassed because I do it too. Because I get caught up. Because I compare. Because I, I compete against silly little things. And, 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 and you might have heard this before. I've said this before. And, and, and you might have heard somebody else say it. But, but when you compare and compete, you live in defeat. When you compare and compete, you live in defeat. You will never live in victory if you compare and compete. That is a surefire way to be, way to be defeated at all times. Why? Because somebody is always better than you always stronger than you, always got more money than you, always prettier than you, always able, capable, more whatever it is than you, will have more than you. There is always somebody else. So you will either, or you always have somebody, you know, you always got more than somebody else. When you compare, there is no victory in the heart of God. Why? Because your heart becomes poisoned either with insecurity and envy and jealousy or pride because you do got more. Neither of those are healthy options for God to want to use James, uh, John, and Peter here. And so this is a part of what we see here. Now, I want you to see a little more deep into what's going on in Peter's life. Because I want you to see what happens at this end of this story with Peter. But I need you to really grasp it because I really believe God wants to do this work in, in your heart today. I want, I want to read a few scripture verses. It's found in chapter 22 of Luke. Luke 22, if you have a Bible, you could turn over there real quick. I'm going to read just three verses. Luke 22, verse 31. Now, this was before Jesus died. This is one of the accounts of when Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And this is what he says to him. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now, watch this. <laughs> I'm not going to preach this, but I want to, but I'm not because I got something else to say. But I love this part of it. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. See, I know some of y'all maybe haven't read the Bible or read this portion, but can I just let you know, those of you that know a little bit about it, I'm just going to talk to the church who know this part of the story real quick for a second. I'll be back with everybody in a minute. But some of y'all can understand and appreciate this. He says this, I'm about to tell you something that you don't want to hear about yourself. See, he has not told him yet that he will deny him. That ain't been told to Peter yet. But he has, listen, he has, before he lets him know you're going to fail, he lets him know, I've prayed for you and I trust that you're going to turn back and come back. I have hope even in the midst of your failings. I have belief in the midst of your failings. I will not define you by your failings. I will define you by your willingness to turn back. Can I tell somebody today that God wants to define you not by your mistakes, not by the collected mistakes and mishaps and missteps and misdirections and broken things that you've done, that that is not the definition Jesus has for you? Because had he had that definition for Peter, he getting ready to tell Peter he's going to deny him. Why wouldn't he just cut Peter out? He don't do that. That's why that's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, I know what you're going to do. I know what you've done. And I want you to know I've prayed for you. And after you've turned back, I got a mission for you. Start with strengthening your brothers. Wait, what? Leadership? I get to strengthen? Yes. After you've turned back. And now I want to walk through what that means. Because this is, I want to show you what after you've turned back and strengthened your brothers really looks like. Because Peter has something to say. He replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. 
You know, Peter, he's so much, he's, he's a drama king. Lord, why are you talking all like that? Come on, I'll die with you, Jesus. And, and here's what I want the church to recognize. It's almost like Jesus responds to him and he just avoids or ignores for the moment that part of the conversation. Like, you know what? Let's come back to that, Peter. But for now, this is what I want to tell you. Verse 34, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, Peter, that before the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows this next morning, you will deny me three times. Now, many of you may not know the story, but what ends up happening is they arrest Jesus illegally early in the morning and try him in an illegal court, breaks all the rules that they then accuse him of breaking the same rules. And they break him and then they accuse him, convict him, try him, and they start beating him. And while that's happening, Peter's watching and people start recognizing Peter. You know him. I don't know him. You know him. I don't know him. Then a 14 teenager old girl catches him. When you one of you was one of them, he start cussing out this teenage girl. She might have put it on Instagram. You know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. And all of a sudden, he realizes what he's done, that he has done what Jesus said he would do. And what he had told Jesus was, ultimately, you're wrong. I won't, I will die with you. No, you're gonna deny me. No, 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 no. Even if everybody else denies you, I'm not gonna do that. That you you wrong about me. I'm good soil. I'm Peter. You said you're going to build the church on me. Maybe you forgot. They heard of me. Peter, get at me. Simon. Huh, let's go. Right? And then all of a sudden we find out that he does end up doing it. And he, Jesus had told them, after you turn back, now go with me now to the culmination of this story. John chapter 21. I want to catch you up with what's happened. Peter, after Jesus is dead, he's gone back fishing. He went to the tomb. He got there second, as we've already been told many times by John. He sees these linen. John thinks that Jesus is alive. Peter, not so sure. Peter goes back and he's fishing. He goes back to what he was doing before he met Jesus. That happens with some of us when we get disappointed with what we thought Jesus was going to do in our lives, huh? Some of us do the same thing Peter did. We get with Jesus. We walk with him. We see him do miracles. We see him do amazing things. He changes our lives. He makes us different. He shows us things. He he ministers to us. But then all of a sudden, we put our hopes on how the story needs to go with Jesus. And it goes differently. And then we go, you know what? I don't know what I think about all this anymore. You ain't doing it the way I want you to do it. And the question I would have for you is, is it okay if Jesus does it his way and not your way and he still stays God? Does God have permission to be the God of your life and your story? Or are you going to push away? Peter goes back to fishing. The Bible tells us early in John 21 that Jesus calls out friends. You guys got any fish? And they're like, nah, we've been fishing all night. He goes, throw the nets on the other side. Sounds very, very similar to the same way that he called Peter originally. He's calling him back the same way he called him originally. I'm here to call some of y'all back. There's some of you listening right now, some of you listening online, some of you guys watching the other campuses, that that God in this moment right now, in the midst of this sermon, not even done with it, he's saying to you, I'm calling you back. 
I have something for you. I know you've gone backwards. I know you went back to what you were doing before me and you had what we had. Let us not define our future relationship and my future mission and my future calling based on your disappointment and how you've managed your disappointment. I know you're disappointed. I know it's a bummer. I know it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go, but you could trust me. I'm the God of the universe. I created all things. I've ordained them. I've sanctioned them. I'm in charge of them. If you will take your hand and put it into mine, I'm going to walk you through to where you need to get to, but you have to be okay with some disappointment because it isn't your way of doing it. And then he welcomes Peter. He says, come on. Peter says, it's the Lord. He jumps in the water. He swims to the shore. And then he comes up. And now I want to talk to the people who know how to create environments for God to use them. People with the gift of hospitality. People who know how to set the room up right. Maybe you'll never have a microphone. Maybe you're never going to sing the song or lead the moment. But you know how to create the environment that God can use. Because I want you to see that that was what Jesus does. When Peter comes up to this fireside, Jesus has got fire, he got food, and he invites Peter, come sit down, let's talk. It's important to create environments that God can use. We can't change nobody. We can create environments most conducive for the Holy Spirit to change people. That's what we do. I don't change nobody. What I do is I give my gift to Jesus and say, you use it and I can help create and organize an environment that the Holy Spirit can use. Jesus is organizing an environment that he can speak into Peter's life. He brings Peter to this fireside. If you've read the story, you know the account. If you don't know the story, here's what happens. He comes off the shore. He, he comes and sits down by this fireside. Jesus got some food. He, you know, he fricasseed some fish. He's cutting it up and he hands it over to, to Peter. They start eating. Before he gets deep into the talk, they're eating and talking and catching up. Did you hear that? Some of us, when we have tough conversation with people, it would go well with you. Make that man a sandwich before you get into his grill about what he didn't do right that day. <laughs> Hand him a warm plate. Let him chew a few bites. Let him have a chance to be, hey, you all right? All right, I got some stuff to share. We're going to get there, but you know, let me just set the room up. Let me set the environment. Giving y'all some wisdom. There's some young, young husbands and young wives in this room need to listen to me. Okay? You better tell us she look good first. <laughs> Honey, you look so good. You smell good too. What is that? My God. Oh, you just smell good all the time, I guess now, huh? All right. You can't come home and just guns blazing on them. You need to set the tone, make sure they feel cared for and loved. Ready? Before you tell them they're going to deny you, tell them, I believe you'll turn back. I have hope. I have belief. I am looking forward at what you will be and will do and will become, not what you've done right now. That's how Jesus does relationships. Some of us would do well to begin to do our marriages, our children, our teenagers that way. You roll up on your teenager, you want to just jam them up for what they've done wrong. You might want to start with something you've seen they've done right. You might want to start with something that you see your mama does do. If you're a teenager, you're listening to me right now. You're a college student. Don't light your parents up first. Why don't you talk about something you appreciate? Why don't you see the effort dad does put in? Why don't you see how hard he does work? Why don't you see how much she does give, how strenuous it is on her, how she carrying two sides of both things, especially if you got a single mama. You better let her hear it because she ain't got nobody at home telling her she did a great job. So that's part of being a family. We learn to speak life 
My mama is still a single mom and I make sure that as a good son, I encourage her. I use my words to speak life in her so she knows, I know you probably ain't getting this, so you're gonna get it from me, why? Because we're family. And I'm gonna love and speak life into, why? Because that's what Jesus does to Peter, it's what he shows us to do too. And then after the three questions he asks him, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. What you talking about? Of course I love you. Come on, man. Jumped out that boat and swam to shore, didn't I? Okay, feed my lambs. You do realize this is within days of, of Peter denying him. This is within days of that. He asked him a second time, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I do. I want you to feed my sheep. He's commissioned again. Some of you have heard this before reference, but I want to make sure everybody is on the same page when it comes to restoration. So watch this. I got a question for some of you who are new to this thing or getting back in a church. How many times, say it out loud, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Jesus has rose from the dead. Peter has failed him famously. And now he brings him to the fireside. He's asked him once, do you love me? He's asked him twice, do you love me? And now the Bible tells us in verse 17 what happens. It says this. The third time Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I want to pause for a second and let you know that for every mistake that you have given to Jesus, he has prepared a moment of restoration for you. That for every denial, he has a moment of love. He wants to remind you, do you love me? I want to get into what's going on in your heart. I know about the failure. I know about the denial. In fact, let's keep it 100. I knew about it when you was denying it that I knew about it. You weren't willing to hear it. I was trying to tell you you was going to do it. And you out here talking about how Peter's the bomb and Peter's not going to fail and Peter this and Peter that. I've been in church. What you know about me? Well, I, I'm God. I ain't been wrong yet. Now the assumption is I don't know what I'm talking about. I told you. And so Peter has gone on a journey. What's the journey that Peter's been on? He's going to show us right now. It says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And this was Peter's response. And oh, how I love this response. He said, Jesus, you know all things. And you know that I love you. I don't know about you, but I hear the sound of somebody who recognizes their failings, their, their shortcomings, their sin. What's the journey Peter's been on? Peter's been on a journey to, to re realize he knew back then I was going to fail. And he told me after I could turn back. And then he had something for me to do still. That even after I was done not doing it right, you was going to have something for me. Peter finally realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, yeah. yeah, I love you, but it's more than that. It's this, you know all things. What does that mean? Well, of course it means this. You know what I did wrong. I can barely pick my face up to look you in your eyes and talk to you right now. I'm so ashamed of how I acted. I'm so embarrassed by what I've done. That was so broken. And then now I've got to sit here and just go over it. I just don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable to be restored. 
And it is uncomfortable to be restored, but it's healing and it's powerful. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know what he knows? He knows this. And for years and years, and if you've been in another church that wasn't healthy and they just railed against you for your mistakes, some of you grew up in religious environments that have just used the idea of God's purity and perfection and God's holiness to crush you into the ground and just grind you like mill and be like, yeah, God knows everything about you. He knows what you've done. He's seen what you've done in secret. He knows how bad you are. And we preach that nonsense and it's true. He knows everything. Peter acknowledges it, but that's not the point of Jesus knowing everything is so he can grind you down for how bad you did it and how short you come. The point of it is so Jesus can be told and he can tell you, Lord, you know all things and you know what you know? Yeah, you know everything I've done wrong, every dirty, awful, foul, bad, embarrassing, shameful, secret thing I've ever done. But you know what else you know? You know I hate what I've done. You know I'm embarrassed. You know I don't like the way it feels that we got this disconnect. You know that I long for us to be connected again. You know all things, not just my sin. You know my heart of repentance. You know my heart of desire for you again. And I don't know what to do about it because it feels like all the stuff stacked against what I did wrong disqualifies this part of my good heart. And what Jesus says is feed my sheep. It doesn't disqualify you. I got stuff for you to do church today. There are some of us in this room that God has things for you to do, but you are so caught up looking at what God is doing with John, looking at what God is doing with someone else, looking at all the stuff that you did wrong. And that is not our gospel. Our gospel doesn't teach that. Humanity teaches that. Shame teaches that. The devil himself teaches that. Jesus said he's asked. He's asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you. And I pray that even after you fail and then after you turn back, that you will strengthen your brothers. Listen to me today. Church, he has greatness for you. He has things for you, but he needs you to change your perspective. Final thing that happens here is Jesus takes Peter back to that conversation. Remember that conversation where he said, I'll die with you. Remember how I told you, Jesus said, we'll come back to that. Now he comes back to it. Chapter 21, verse 18, he says, when you were young, I tell you the truth that when you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the type of death that Peter would glorify God with. And then he said to Peter, follow me. I mean, can you imagine that conversation? It's too morbid for me. As a son of a father who passed earlier than I wanted him to, um, Tuesday will be seven years since my father passed away in the night. I don't even like going into the conversation of death, to be quite honest, but it requires me to do it when I consider these types of things. And I look into it and, and I can't imagine, but, but, but I try to fathom, what would it be like for Jesus to tell somebody, this is how you're going to die? I mean, I don't want that, but that's what Peter got. Peter's getting that discussion. He's saying, this is how you're going to glorify me follow me. And those of you that might know church history, you know, historically speaking, Peter was crucified on a cross. And when they began to nail him to a cross, he said, I am not worthy to be crucified in the manner of my Lord. Would you please turn it upside down? And history teaches that Peter was crucified on a cross upside down because he didn't want to be right side up. He said, the only one who should ever be crucified like that and looked upon with worship and honor is Jesus. And he was turned upside down. 
So what Jesus says is going to happen. Now, in response to that pretty special, sacred conversation, you would think that Peter would finally come to a place where he grasped a hold of what's most important. But he don't. Because it says this. He says that Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved and also runs faster, following them. You know, the one that leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Next verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, well, well, what about John? What about John? How's John going to die? I mean, that's kind of messed up, don't you think? You already love him more and he runs faster. What the heck? Can't I get a little like, I mean, man. And Jesus answered and said, look, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must, you must follow me. What, what is that to you? you? You must follow me. What, what is that to you if I'm doing something in her life I'm not doing in your life? What is that to you if you got to stay single a little longer than she stayed single? What is that to you if you don't get to have the kids as often or as many as you wanted to have? What is that to you if, if all of a sudden they're making more money than you're making? What, what is that to you that I'm calling you to give more money than you hear so other people are willing to give? What is that to you when I'm doing what I'm trying to do in your life? See, what we have happened too often is we get caught up with the same nonsense these boys got caught up with and we become distracted by all the little things Jesus is doing or not doing or asking or not asking us to do. And we are, we are earthly minded with a heavenly cause and it distracts us and it keeps us and it prohibits the flow of God's kingdom power to work within your life. Listen to me. There are some of you right now on the precipice, literally on the edge of something so great, so grand. Do you know that Peter is the one that will preach to 3,000 people on the opening of the day of Pentecost and that the world of the whole church gets started through Peter's ministry, not John's. And Jesus is looking at Peter going, look, I got for John. Yeah, John's the one at the cross when Jesus is on the cross and he looks at John, he says, John, take care of my mama. Mama, John's going to take care of you from now on. That is a conversation on the cross. Yes, John's important, but John's important for who God wired John to be. John is wired to be the, 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 the nurturer, the carer of Mary, the mother of Jesus for the rest of Mary's life. But John ain't the one that's supposed to stand up in front of thousands of people and declare who it is that Jesus is. That's a different wiring. That's a different gift. And Jesus is trying to say, are you okay with what I've called you to do different? Today, I believe that God wants to minister in this place and in our campuses. And we're watching this. And so with every head up and every eye open, I want to ask you an important question. If you're here today and you would say... I'm caught up on some small stuff. I got my eyes on little things. I've been arguing, bickering about silly, small stuff. Who runs faster? Who looks, who got the opportunity? Who got asked to serve on this thing? Who got asked to do that? Who's going on that trip? Who gets to preach? Who gets to share? Who get, who, wait, what, what? And we caught up on this mess. And can I tell you what the name of that, all that is? That's all religion. All of it's broken religion of, wait, what box do I check that you don't get to check? And how do I measure up? And what do I get to do that then defines who I am and my identity and what me and God are doing for the the world? That's religion. Religion is about what, listen, what you do. 
Relationship is about what Jesus did. And he wants to break that part. I know some of y'all think, I'm not religious. I have a relationship. You tell people that. People are like, well, I'm not a religious person. And when you out, you go, I'm not religious either. I got a relationship with Jesus. I love Jesus, me and Jesus so close. And you think that that's true. And it is true. But you still got some religion in you. Why? Because you're still looking to check boxes and compare and compete. You still are held back by the grand of what God wants to do. Some of you, he has such great things for you. Can I tell you this? Some of you, he wants you to take care of Mary. He wants you to take care of some people and love and, and, and write some stuff and inspire some. Some of you, you're going you're to share and have a grand influence. It's going to be so different. But can you let Jesus be in charge of your assignment? And can you just be faithful, obedient, sacrificial, generous, willing to do what he puts in front of you? Because that's what he's calling you to do today. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.